uh, just this weekend. Um, quick confession. Uh, about this time, this season that we're in right now, I'm not on Facebook very often <clears throat> for various and misunderstood reasons, but uh, I just happened to be on uh, the other day, got tagged in a post uh, letting me know that our friends over at City Light, who do the homeless ministry here in Tulsa, uh, are collecting laundry baskets that include um, a Thanksgiving dinner. Now, what's really cool about this is that they are going, uh, City Light is going to be passing these out to families that they have a relationship with, which I really, really love. Uh, I like that idea that there's actual connection here and it's not, you know, just kind of a random sort of thing, although there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, we would like to um, create at least a couple of these. Maybe we'll do it by small group, we'll do it by family, whatever we want to do. But just FYI, it just became known to me uh, in the last, I guess, 24 hours. And so we'll try to have some details out to you via email tomorrow. So if you think that's something that you're interested in participating in, uh, keep that in mind. We'll get some details out as soon as we possibly can watch your email for it. Okay, makes sense? So this is a great time of year. There's all types of opportunities to do these things. We're trying to pick and choose the ones that uh, make sense for us to do. And we're, we're kind of big fans of, of what they do down at City Light. And so um, we're gonna, gonna create some Thanksgiving dinners that way. All right, good deal. Okay, I'm, uh, let me get started here. Uh, I invite you to turn with me to the uh, book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible, Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. So either plug that into your um, Bible app or turn the page old school style. It'd be great. Exodus chapter 3 is we're going to be. Um, I'm going to start with the text today, uh, and then I'm going to make some observations and offer a thought about it. Okay? So... Um, Exodus chapter 3, let me read through this, and I'm going to try to make some comments as we go along. Exodus chapter 3, and beginning with verse number 1. If you don't have a Bible app, that's cool, I'll have it up on the screen for you. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the, of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, let's hit the pause button right there. I love how um, biblical language is just so formal sometimes, <laughs> because I'm thinking, if you're seeing a bush that's not burning up, that is not the words that you're going to use. Mm-mm. Now, you're going to have something else to say about that. But let's, let's kind of put this in perspective. Let's put this in some context. Uh, because back in Exodus chapter 1, we were introduced to this man named Moses. And Moses is an interesting character um, within the biblical narrative because he's got this bizarre sort of background. He's born a, uh, a Hebrew slave, but he's adopted uh, into an Egyptian family. But not just any Egyptian family. A royal family, and not just any royal family, the royal family. He's adopted into Pharaoh's household. And so if you think about this, Moses grew up completely privileged and very educated. He would have had the best education of the known world at that time. This is a big deal if, we, if you really kind of consider what's happening here. This is uh, civilization at the time at its height 
the most technologically advanced, at least within the ancient Near East. And here he is, and he's part of, the, of, of Pharaoh's household. But the, the other thing to remember is, is that he's also on the lamb. If you remember the story, he, he killed an Egyptian. And he was afraid that somebody had found out about it, and so he hit the road. He went running. And so um, he's wanted for murder in Egypt, and he's been in hiding, and he's been in hiding for a number of years. Now, notice what it says here, that he was keeping the flock of his, what? Father-in-law. He's married. And he has a child, by the way. We find out about that in a previous chapter. The point is, is that here we have Moses, and here's his backstory. He grew up a certain way, he got into some trouble, and he's hiding, more or less. Self-imposed exile, because if he goes back, he's probably going to be in trouble. Okay? So keep all of this in mind. Um, But he goes from Pharaoh's court to the backside of the desert... He entered, in, uh, entered his in-law's family business, and he's doing the thing that he's supposed to be doing. He's, he's tending the sheep, and then one day, this happens. One day, he sees something that he's never seen before. In fact, nobody's really ever seen anything like that, and I don't think anybody's seen that since. Let's keep reading. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called to him, Out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Hmm. That last line is very interesting to me. He hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Why? Why was he afraid? Now, the text doesn't tell us, but we can make a certain number of assumptions on our own. Uh, I think that there's a couple of plausible reasons here. Uh, First of all, it was a unique experience. It may have been a little overwhelming, don't you think? So not only is the bush burning and not being consumed, it's now talking to me. (laughs) Come on. I don't care if you grew up in the church. That's a little weird, right? It's a little strange. Could have been an overwhelming experience. Um, Maybe he, because of his education, understood the reputation of deities. Because deities can be a little fickle sometimes. And so maybe he's a little afraid of what's happening here. Mm, That could be it. Or maybe he feels the guilt and the shame of his murder. And now he's in the presence of the divine. That could be it as well. Of course, the text doesn't really say to us, but one of the things that we need to understand is that fear is often the result of when human beings meet the divine. And we see this over and over in the text, which is very interesting to me, because in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and the first part of chapter 3, that wasn't the case. Human beings and God regularly met together. So this is completely contrary to what was the original plan. So fear. Let's keep going. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, 
and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Hmm. So now we get to see a little bit of God's heart. So we have this strange occurrence, this burning bush, this speaking burning bush, and God begins to reveal his heart. Notice how he says a couple of things here. First he says, <laughs> um, I have surely seen their affliction, and I have heard their cry, and now he's come down to rescue them. This is the character of God, and I know that sometimes this is hard for us to believe when we see some of the, the evil that's in the world. There's a God who sees, a God who hears, and most importantly, he's a God who acts. He actually moves. He actually rescues. The church must recapture this idea that God's response is rescue. We need to get that down in our souls again. And I, and I know what the arguments are. I've heard this one. How could a loving God allow fill-in-the-blank to happen, right? You've probably heard that. I've heard that a number of times. And here's the thing, though. God doesn't override free will. But he's always willing to restore. Always, always willing to restore and to rescue. Maybe the better response for us is not to ask that question, but to ask questions like, like this. When will God act? Not if God's going to act is, when will God act and how will he act? And here's the real important part, church. This is the thing that I want you to think about a little bit more. Here's the better question. When you see those things happening around you, the first question that should come from you is, how can I help? What difference can I make? Maybe there's not, but maybe there is. Or maybe God will provide you the opportunity for it. But instead of blaming God for something to happen, what can I do to help? How can I be part of the kingdom how can I be part of the solution rather than the problem? Just a thought. And so God reveals his heart, and God is choosing his leader, and it happens to be Moses. Now, let's hit the pause button on our text here. Because we think we need to be honest. How many, how many of you would agree that... There are certain things in life that would be a whole lot easier if you got a definitive direct command from God out of a burning bush. Right? I mean, there, there are these, I, I, gotta, I gotta be honest, I'm like, okay, Moses, maybe you don't want to do this, but at least you know. At least you've got the direct, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of Pharaoh, and um, he says, come, I will send you that's pretty direct. There's a person who has been called, right? It is definitive. He knows what he's doing. Now, of course, Moses tries to worm his way out of it, but it's, it's all, it, that's okay. But I think I would like a few burning bush experiences too. And let's really admit something. We're all just a little bit jealous, aren't we? That he gets that. Like, come on. I'd like that too. There's something I want you to note though. There's a, a piece of this narrative that I think we should pay a little closer attention to. And so what I want to camp out on today, here it is um, in verse 5. 
When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God and called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So there's, there's three things that happen here. First of all, he's, he's called to him, but as Moses approaches, he says, kind of stop. Don't come any closer. It's another translation. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Now, keep in mind here that Moses is seeing a unique experience Something that, as far as I know, has not been done previously in any type of, of, of uh, history in any type of the cultures of the ancient Near East. There's a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go check it out. Okay, so as he's walking towards it, and the voice comes out, and he answers, the voice tells him, don't come any closer, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. Moses was standing on holy ground, but he didn't know it. I want you to think about that for a moment. He's seeing a unique experience, a miraculous experience, and yet he's standing on holy ground, and he doesn't know it. But he didn't know it. Now, there's a lot of theories on the whole taking off the sandals thing. Some people think it's cultural. Some people think it's, it's got something to do with, um, you know, what God wants from his people. I don't, there's nothing definitive about it. But culturally, and in the Bible, we see this often. When there's holiness involved, you take off your shoes. You take off your sandals. And so he tells him, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for example. But he didn't know it. He didn't know that he was standing on holy ground. And I think one of the things that we can say here is that holiness is easy to miss. Holiness is easy to miss. In fact, I would, I would argue, too, that holiness looks a little weird. I've, I've had a couple of opportunities in my life to meet people who just are a little happy sometimes that I don't understand why. And it's not just because they're, you know, mourning people. That's, that's not what I'm saying, but they're happy. And you wonder, why, why are they so happy all the time? Or have you come across that person who always seems at peace? I mean, everything around them is going crazy, and yet they're still very much at, at peace. Have you met people like that? And you realize, after a period of time, that that's holiness, it's not weird and odd. It is against the backdrop of normal everyday life, but it's holiness. Now, if you're old school Wesleyan, we call that, they're sanctified. <laughs> Sanctification. When we take what we think is normal and we see holiness against it, it looks strange. It makes us feel a little uncomfortable sometimes. And what I've noticed here, at least for my life and for people, some people that I know, we often look for a thunderbolt from God, and when it happens, we still miss it, right? We do. And I wonder, I wonder this. I, I, every time I read this story, I wonder, how many times have I missed holy ground? How many times have I missed the holy ground? And I can't condemn other people for it. I mean, even when it's spectacular, and sometimes it is, um, 
I need somebody else to point it out to me. You ever, ever had that? Um, even certain negative experiences in my life, a, a number of years ago, in fact, it was right after 9-11, about two weeks after 9-11, me and 749 other people working for our company lost our jobs. I will never forget that day. And at first, I'm like, lost my job. I didn't like that job anyway. But the point was, is that looking at it again, somebody else had to point out, hey, this might not be a bad idea. Sure enough, I ended up finding a job that paid me 10% more and was 20 minutes closer to my house. Okay? So all I'm saying is, is that sometimes what we think is negative isn't necessarily negative. And sometimes what's spectacular might actually be holy ground. Are you with me? might actually be that way. It may work out a little bit differently for you. That's how it worked out for me in that one case. But I also, I wonder how many times we miss God's subtlety. Not just the spectacular things. We miss that, but we're also missing the subtle things. John Wesley taught us that God's spirit is always working everywhere. For those of you who understand Wesleyan theology, we call this prevenient grace. God's spirit is at work in every corner, in every shadow, everywhere because he's omnipresent, right? And so God is there, and he's moving, and he's working, and he's constantly communicating to us. He's constantly, what I, I guess I'll call it broadcasting, who he is, who we are, and this rescue mission that he's on. And it reminds me of uh, your cell phone. And you're talking to somebody on the cell phone, and um, all of a sudden, they like drop part of the call, you know, and, and you'll hear, well, yeah, Sally and I, we were over at... Su- and then we went to the movies, and then... Wait a minute, I just missed a part. That was really important, right? And then you do this. You, you, just, you take your phone, and you look at it, and you check the bars. Then you do this. <laughs> Hang on. Hit the speaker button. Hey, hold on. Can you, can you still hear me? It reminds me of when I was a kid, and we had rabbit ears on the television before cable. <laughs> Some of you people remember, and my, my dad would be like, okay, now go and, and you put the tinfoil on it. Did you have tinfoil on your rabbit ears? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you people are like, what is he talking about? But he had this, he had these, this little antenna that would sit on top of your television, and you sometimes put, put aluminum foil on it in order to improve the reception. And then whoever was the youngest in the house had to go and hold the rabbit ear in the right spot. I was an only child. Guess who got that responsibility every time? Right, right there, son, don't move. No, 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 you moved it. You moved it. And, and then the TV would come in and God's always broadcasting it, but sometimes our rabbit ears and sometimes our cell phone isn't in the right position, right? Yeah. We have to learn how to tune in. We got to get it just right but he's always broadcasting. You know, my hope for Thrive Church is that we would always help people find and follow Jesus because I know some people who have found Jesus still aren't following Jesus, right? So we want to find and follow, help them find and follow Jesus. And we want to do that so that we can be transformed so that we're like Jesus. Because I think this is what God wants for humanity and even more importantly, I think the world needs it. You've heard me say this before. I don't think the world needs another church. I don't think Tulsa, Oklahoma needs another church. But I think what they need is more people acting like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. Learning how to think like him. Love like him. And so to that end, what we attempt to do is to 
try to show people the nature of God every Sunday morning and that love that he has for us. And, and sometimes we want to challenge people's beliefs because sometimes people have some, some beliefs that just don't match up with what Jesus is trying to explain to us. And we try to offer sound and biblical ideas that actually in, improve your life. And I want you to know that every time that we gather together on Sunday morning, we have thought through a lot of that. I will tell you, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, when Pastor Dan is up here, every note, every lyric is designed to help you experience the presence of God. My prayer is that every message that you hear here will help you find the presence of God and and that every conversation that you have here would help you find the presence of God. And by the way, I need, to, I need to point something out here. Some of that makes me a little uncomfortable, but I think it needs to be said. There's a big event that's happening on Tuesday. I want you to vote. I want you to vote your conscience. I think that's important. But the other thing I want you to understand is that God is not a Republican, Jesus is not a Democrat, and the Holy Spirit has some profound correction for both parties. So please be careful the kind of conversations that you have, and please, please, please be very careful what you post on Facebook. I will not hold you to a party affiliation, but I will hold you to your allegiance to Christ. We're going to continue to try to bring people into the presence of God because it's only the Spirit of God that can truly transform us. I can give you great advice. I can give you lots of Bible stuff. I can give you a lot of biblical history. I enjoy that. But really, it's only the Spirit of God that can move inside of our hearts, rearrange things that need to be arranged. And so this series that we're in right now is called Presence. Because we want to chase after the presence of God because that's what changes us, which is what will change our families, which is what will change our neighborhoods and change our workplaces and eventually change the world. That's how the kingdom of God has operated since the moment Jesus came to earth. And so the first lesson with all of this is that it's easy to miss the holiness of God. Holiness is easy to miss. The presence of God is easy to miss. Don't come closer. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. He was seeing something miraculous and didn't know that it was holy. It's easy to miss. And so my advice for you is to look for it. Look for the presence of God. Um, and then go and tell other people when you found it. Okay, I think that's a really good idea to do. But you should also ask for it. You should ask for the presence of God and just say, God, God, how can I... How can I do this? How can I connect with you? I, whatever language you use. How can we visit together? How can we talk together? How can we be together? How, I don't care what word you use. The point is, is, I want you to be in the presence of God, and so ask for it. And by the way, this is something that our staff is doing. We're doing some work individually and collectively to be in the presence of God when we're ever, when, whenever we're, we're together. I mean, this is a deliberate, intentional, committed type of movement that we're making. And maybe sometimes you can ask, ask, ask God for it, but how you can do it. God, is there something that I can do in order to get closer or to get more connected? And by the way, there's the other little thing here that I think is really important, is if you think that maybe the presence of God is showing up, it is okay to ask him. 
God, is that you? I know that there are places that I have written in my journal where I feel like I'm getting something from God and I'm writing a note. I'm like, are you sure? God, is that you? Or is that just that voice in my head that sometimes I hear? And yes, I hear voices and sometimes I talk back to it and so do you. You know, if you see me going down the road in my car and I'm talking and there's nobody there, I'm me and Jesus. We're having a conversation, so don't, don't panic. <laughs> so it's okay to ask for him. And by the way, if you're in that point in your life, in that season, where you don't necessarily sense God, or you're not seeing him, he didn't move. And can I just encourage you that you may be standing on holy ground and just not knowing it. Just because you don't see it, you don't recognize it or understand it, doesn't mean that it's not true. Are you with me? So the point that I'm trying to make is if you're feeling like, I believe in Jesus, but I am not seeing God move in my life the way that I think he, I'd like him to or the way I think he ought to, <laughs> that might be an issue, but if you're not seeing that, you're in great company, like Moses. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. So sometimes God uses burning bushes. I wish they were a little more frequent, but they're not. But sometimes he does. But I think he also uses everyday things. Maybe an encouraging comment from a friend. Maybe it's a beautiful sight. A couple of nights ago, um, I don't remember where we were driving, and uh, I think one of our kids just pointed out, wow, look at that, look at all the colors, and it was a sunset. It was amazing. And you just sit there and go, wow, thank you, God. I know that for me, um, laughter, that's one. Sometimes you'll read something, sometimes you'll see something. But I think God uses more than just burning bushes. I think he uses everyday things. And sometimes he uses bread and juice. Pretty simple. And yet for centuries, parts of the church have thought in terms that communion um, was the presence of God. Wesley called it a means of grace. It's a way to experience the grace of God. Well, we experience his grace when we're present and and I want to tell you that before every service, one of the things we do is when we pray together, we acknowledge the fact that we are gathered in his name and by his word we know that he is here. So he's present. He's present even here. You don't have to take your shoes off, by the way. <laughs> it's okay. But it's the first Sunday of the month and we do communion. And so the, the thing that I'm going to ask you to do um, if you take communion with us today is to be mindful of the fact that we're remembering Christ, but he's present here. Does that make sense? And so when we eat and when we drink, we're actually acknowledging the fact that he's present. There's nothing mystical or magical about the elements. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. 
But if we are gathering in his name and he is present and we're doing this in remembrance of him, there's a real good chance that you're standing on holy ground. You with me? And so I want you to be mindful. As most of you know, in the church, um, the Thrive Church, we have what's called an open table. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you, and we want you to be a part of it. Um, at the same time, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's okay not to get up and go take the elements. Nobody's going to look at you funny, I promise. But on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus was gathered with his disciples. <laughs> the, this kind of misfit band of individuals and And he took the bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it, and he passed it out to each of them and said, you know, take and eat this, and every time you do, I want you to remember me. And you know what? They didn't know they were standing on holy ground in that moment either. In fact, their world was about ready to fall apart, and they were still standing on holy ground. And after the supper, he took the cup, and after he gave thanks, he passed it out and told them to drink it, Every time you do this, I want you to remember me. And at that moment in time, they did not know that they were standing on holy ground. And that the whole world was going to fall apart for them, but they were still on holy ground. So my prayer for you is today, as you listen to the music, when you're ready, and it doesn't have to be right away, it doesn't have to be after the first verse or whatever, when you're ready, go back, take and eat, take and drink, and remember that you're standing on holy ground because the presence of God is here with us.